Well, it is a treat to be at the Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Um, for those of you who are younger, uh, you may not know that it was the Rocky Mount Baptist Church who started the mission at Franklin Heights. And I always tried to remind the folks at Franklin Heights that we <clears throat> owe you folks a debt of gratitude and appreciation. But it's good to be here today. I know so many of you. Uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know your precious pastor. He has a heart for the Lord, a commitment to the Word of God and its authority. And uh, I value our friendship. Of course, it's always good to have Brother Doug and his precious wife, Ann. I've been praying for those folks. <clears throat> when I get to my missionary page in my prayer notebook, I, uh, I've prayed for them by name, and there are others for whom I pray. And then I pray for this church on the day I pray for churches. So you've been in my prayer notebook for many, many years, and I know so many of you. I, it's good to have my precious daughter here today. She's a glutton for punishment. Uh, <clears throat> she went to Franklin Heights at 8.30 and shows up here, and uh, she uh, loves the Lord and loves His Word um, in fact, tomorrow, 27 years ago, we lost our only son. He was serving in the Marine Corps, and he was killed. You don't get over that. You learn to live with it. God's grace is sufficient, and I am grateful for the privilege of being a recipient of the grace of God. Now, it's sometimes it's difficult to know what to preach when you go into various churches. I do pray about it. I just don't pick up a sermon that I've filed away in a cigar box. Um, but I do have hundreds and hundreds of uh, fully manuscripted sermons. But um, I've chosen today a sermon that I wrote a few months ago that grew out of the experience that I had. And our text today comes from Psalm 139. Now, this is a beautiful psalm. It has to do with the intimacy, the relationship that David had with the God who had redeemed him. Uh, David refers to God either by proper name or pronoun uh, 36 times in this 139th psalm. David refers to himself 50 times. So what we have here is David and his relationship with God and what it is God is seeking to do. Now in the first few verses, we have what is known as the omniscience of God. God knows everything. He knows our moments in our lives. He knows the motives of our lives. He knows all the things that we do. In fact, let me just begin reading, and I'm going to skip around, but you try to follow if you can. I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard. There are dozens and dozens of translations out there, and uh, many of them are very, very good, but I use this often. In Psalm 139, David said this, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, you perceive my faults from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And then let's drop down to verse 13. Now, if, um, <clears throat> if this is true, then uh, America as a nation is seriously flawed. Listen to this. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. So this is a psalm not only about spiritual examination, which we'll get to in a moment, but it is about a God who knows us all, he knows everything about us, and he is everywhere present, the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. If you were to seriously, slowly read this psalm, you would find that we have a picture here of David who predicates the last two verses on the fact that God is all-knowing and that God is everywhere. You cannot flee from the presence of God. Our ancient parents tried that. They sinned against God and they hid from God but they could not do that. You remember Jonah, God said to Jonah, I preached at another church last Sunday, and I believe that was the sermon I preached, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and I want you to go to Nineveh, but the Bible says Jonah fled from the presence of the Lord and tried to go to Tarshish. So there's no place that we can go in fleeing from the Lord. God is everywhere, and he knows everything about us. And based upon God's knowledge of us and God's presence of, in our lives, then this man of God, the God, David, who was a man after God's own heart, though like us, he was terribly flawed. He says in verse 22, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. About three months ago, I was with a Christian friend of mine. Since I've retired, about three times a year, we go out and eat breakfast and we get in his truck and we ride around Franklin County. When I'm preaching in other churches, when I was a young man, I used to say I'm from the garden spot of the universe Franklin County, Virginia. And it is a beautiful place. I grew up close to the beach and it was flat and sometimes kind of ugly. But now Franklin County has a great beauty about it. And we'll ride around about an hour and talk about the things of the Lord. And the last time we were together, which maybe was three months ago, he said to me, he said, uh, I would like to know if you still have the fire of God in your soul. Now that did not bother me when he asked the question. We usually talk about the things of the Lord. I had some uh, input into his coming to the Lord. I baptized his father. I baptized his daughter who now has a doctor's degree in her field. And I've known him for a very long time, but it was we were right just out of the blue. He said to me, 
Uh, do you still have the fire of God in your soul? And I got home and I got to thinking about that and I just could not get away from that question. And I, I, I began to think, well, now, why would he think he has a right to ask me that? You know, I used to be a preacher. And, uh, and, and I could have gone to the place where he has no right to ask me that. But then I began to think, Lord, it may be that there was a reason that you wanted him to ask me that question. And when I began to think in that manner and in that vein, these verses came to me. I had read this psalm many times. It's a wonderful psalm. It is chock full and pregnant with theology and devotional thoughts about God and his love for us. But David, this man after God's own heart, he said, Oh God, search me and know my heart. And I began to say, Lord, what is it that there may be in my life that I cannot see? It was the Scottish poet, Robert Burns, who said, Oh, to see ourselves as others see us. I find it's a lot easier to see the faults in your life than it is to see the faults in my life. And if you're honest, that's probably true of all of us. We, we can see other people's problems or faults or difficulties and sometimes we're not honest to look inward and as Paul, uh, David said, search me, O God. And so in that process, I began to meditate upon the fact that we as the children of God need with some degree of regularity, we need to ask God to give us a spiritual examination. And folks, I certify to you this morning that uh, we're living at a time when, as a nation, we desperately need, as churches in America, to search our hearts and see where we are. See where it is that the Spirit of God wants to take us. I thank God for a mission-minded church like you and your pastor who goes on these mission trips, I believe at the very heartbeat of God is to carry the gospel to the whole world. One time I read somewhere, and I've always struggled with this, why should one man hear the gospel many times when there are millions of people who have not heard the gospel one time? And so I am grateful for men and women like the Fortners who go and live in difficult places to share the news that is the best news in all the world, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If today you can say with certainty that you are a child of God, it is because Jesus shed his blood. And we are saved by the grace of God. We are not converted because we joined the church. 
We are not saved because we try to be good people. It is because of the grace and the love and the mercy of God. Amen? Therefore, it behooves all of us as serious Christians, not the kind of Christians that gives God the crumbs that fall from the table of their lives, but the Christian who seems to desire to have a heartbeat that beats in harmony with the heartbeat of God. And as a nation, I've, I've been in Franklin County 51 years. In fact, they just sent me a letter that I was an official resident of Franklin County. <laughs> you have to stay here a while before they'll let you be called a Franklin Countyan. But when I came here at age 27, and I'll be 79 in about 10 days, I, I feel 89. But my point is, a lot has changed. When I came here in 67, my daughter was like six weeks old. She's a little older now, maybe 30. Uh, but my wife taught Bible in the public school. 98% of parents who, uh, they had to sign their name, you had to get permission, and when she taught it in elementary, and 98% of all the students took Bible. Not Baptist doctrine or Methodist doctrine, just wonderful stories out of the Bible that helps us. I believe it was then that the Gideons would go on the property of the school, and they could pass out the Word of God. None of that is any longer true. We are becoming a secular nation. We have drifted from the moorings of our Judeo-Christian ethic. I don't know if we've ever been completely Christian, but I do know historically this great nation was based upon the Judeo-Christian ethic. I went through a period of reading the, chapter, the, the uh, charters of the different states and I was surprised to find in many of the state charters of the 13 original colonies, in their charter, they say that the purpose of us being here is to carry the gospel to people. But now, of course, we, are, we have uh, kind of dismissed God. Uh, the Supreme Court now has decided that uh, we do not know enough to say that a marriage is between one woman and one man. Genesis tells us in chapter 2, verse 24, for this cause, the cause of marriage, shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the biblical definition, but in the Supreme Court, they have decided they knew more than God. But I suggest to you, there is a higher court than the Supreme Court. And there will be a day, perhaps, that I, I, I do believe Dr. Billy Graham's wife, she said one time, she said, if, if God does not judge America, he must apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Folks, we're living now in a day when 50%, get this, mark this down, 50% of every child or 50% of children that are born in the home are born with no father in the home. You see, we've almost lost the battle when it comes to the family. 
And I know I speak with, to people who have broken families, and it is God's grace and mercy that can knit back and heal. Uh, in our community, there are two little children that they have no father in the home, and they, they came over one day and said, can we ride our bicycle in your driveway? I said, of course you can. And, and then they would bring their bicycles up my sidewalk, and before long they would come and sit, and they would just want to talk. The eight-year-old girl looked at me one day, she said, and I'm, I, I was so, children are not, they don't have the, the, the burden of the yoke of political correctness. And she looked at me, Brother Doug, this is true, and she wasn't trying to be ugly. She was just telling it like she saw it. She said, you're old. <laughs> but we would talk about, and, and, and you know what she told me? She said, I've never been to church. And I tried, Lord, help me to say something about Jesus. And their mother came one day, and, and I don't know why she would say this, but she said, I want to thank you for being nice to my children. I said, ma'am, I said, you have sweet children. And the little girl spoke up, and she said, Mom, sometimes we talk about Jesus. And the lady said, you know, maybe I ought to come. Folks, who, we who are the people of God, we have a... We have a voice, and we need to share with people that there is a God who loves us and a Christ who died for us, and people need the Lord. And the hope of our nation is not in politics. We're so messed up in politics. I used to be an avid, almost an addict when it, to watching the news, but I, I usually just don't even do it. We are so divided as a country. And I say to you that the thing that will save America is a genuine, spiritual, Holy Spirit-sent revival to the churches of America. <clears throat> I say, um, in fact, I... Um, it was four or five years ago, I was speaking to a group of uh, people and uh, the young pastor, he was effervescent, sharp, good communicator of the Word of God. He said, uh, he said, Pastor Holland, I'd like for you to tell me what you do when people come and want to get married and they're already living together. And, and by the way, when I started in 1962, that was not even something you thought about. And I told him what my approach was, and we went through it. And then he said this, and I was shocked. He said, Pastor Holland, nine out of ten couples who come to me are already living together. Folks, the Ten Commandments are still in effect. God does not give suggestions. He gives commands. And we who are in the church, we who claim to be people of the book, we, we cannot, because of political correctness, we cannot water down, we cannot negotiate truth. It is God's word. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to fornicate. It's still wrong to do those things that are blatantly offensive in the sight of God. And as a church, we need to embrace an examination of where we are. I need it.
And this, this is a sermon that is meant just as much for me. But here you see David said, I want you to search me, O God, and I want you to know my heart. I want you to test me and know my anxious thought and to see if there's any offensive way. Lord, I want you to examine me. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I love to go to the beach. I love to watch football or basketball or baseball. I love to go to the mountains. I've never heard anybody say, I love to go to the doctor. <laughs> you know, they push and prod, at least they used to. I think they're changing some of that now. But, you know, we don't particularly like to go to the doctor. We're maybe afraid to find out something we don't want to know. But, but there are times when we ought to go and we should go. It's a part of our, our makeup. We need physical to be examined where we are physically. And if that is true, and I believe it is, we also need, as Christians, a regular spiritual examination. And that's what's in focus here with David. David is saying, I, I want you to search me, Lord, and to know my heart. We need, of course, to, to be aware that when we invite the investigator the one who created the world, the one who spoke and the world's came into being. When, as David said, he invited God, search me, O God, we need to open every room that is in our lives. We can't just let him in, so to speak, to certain rooms because he already knows. You see, the truth of it is God already knew exactly where David was. And today he knows exactly where I am. And he knows exactly where you are spiritually. He knows our hearts. And we who are the people of God, if we're going to be on the cutting edge and our hearts beating with God's heart about our communities and, uh, and about our nation and about the problems that we face, then it is a prerequisite that we live on the level of allowing God to periodically search our hearts because we do not see ourselves as others see us. We have a tendency to give ourselves a pass. But here David said, Lord, I want you to search me. Another place he said, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart whose soul has not been lifted up to vanity. Serious, this matter of serving the Lord. Serious about this matter of coming to the house of God. We must be willing to allow him to search our heart. He said, search me. And then he said, I want you to test me. Spiritual test. I, the truth of it is, is, I need this sermon as much as you do. And when that man asked me that question, he's a dear brother in Christ. I've talked to him since then. I haven't been brought up about his questions. I'm going to wait till we get to traveling around the county. I'm going to ask him. But I said, Lord, what is it you want me to know about myself as a Christian, as a preacher, as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, 
as a grandfather. Search me, O God. I want you to test me. Folks, if we're going to be legitimately the people of God, it is absolutely necessary to allow God to come in and to every area of our lives. Um, you know, when somebody calls and they want to come by for a visit, what do we do? Well, wherever we're going to sit them, we go down and straighten every pillow and uh, we, we, we're, we want to be sure everything looks just really good. It's amazing. We, <clears throat> my wife has a lady come in twice a month to clean our house, and she cleans it for us so the lady gets there. <laughs> I never have understood that. She said, now, Larry, you, you empty all those trash cans. Cleaning lady's coming. <laughs> and there's just something about human nature. That's what we do. We want to straighten up where we look good. All the psalmist is here is saying, Lord, I just want to be open to you. I want to be honest with you, Lord. I want to be in a position that I'm not, I'm not going to hide anything from you. My time is about go, but what does a complete spiritual examination involve? That's my, my last point, my last question, and I've, I've got the record here. I know I've got 12 minutes, and I'm going to take every last one of them. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll commit the sins of the tongue. <laughs> things that we have said, things that we shouldn't said, some unkindness, some sinful fault. I remember many years ago, they had raised the price of stamps. And I don't know what I did, did it, but I did it. And I was in the post office and I was buying stamps or mailing a letter or something. And, and because they'd come out in the paper, they had raised stamps. I said, you folks must be getting a raise. They've raised stamps. Well, that man had nothing to do with that. And I went and got in my car. The Lord spoke to me in the, there, and he said, now you, you need to turn around and go and apologize. And so I get in my car and ride around the block. And then I pull up in front of the post office, and I go in. I said, sir, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Because what I said was inappropriate and wrong and you have nothing to do with raising the stamps. And of course, he was shocked. He didn't know what to say. But I, I say to you, Christian, if we're going to be the Christian whose heart is beating in harmony with the heart of God, we must allow the Spirit of God to speak to us about our sin. We can't hide them from God. The sins of the tongue, sins of actions... Sometimes we do things we ought not to do, but I, I would say to you, with all the secularization of our American society, and I know I'm old-fashioned and I'm out of date, but I still believe that this is a book of authority. I believe it is a book that gives us a guide to how we are to live our lives in harmony with the will of God I do not believe that the ultimate theologian is Oprah Winfrey or Dr. Phil. I believe we find it here in the Word of God. 
And I would suggest to you, if you're going to be the kind caliber of Christian that brings glory to God, that you ought to regularly, every day, go to the Word of God and read His Word and to pray and to have a prayer life. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, don't do it, but if I were to ask you to raise your hand, if you pray, everybody would raise their hand. But if I were to ask you, do you have a prayer life? How many of us would be able to do that? When I retired, I'd, of course, I'd had a prayer notebook. I don't know how many years I've had it. Years and years and years, a long time. But I knew that my body would begin to deteriorate. And I've been uh, retired almost 10 years. And I've preached in 23 different churches. And um, I believe prayer is very important. And even when we cannot be as active as we used to be, we can pray. And, and the great ministry, I believe, of the church is to pray. If my people who are called by my name will pray. Paul said, devote yourself to prayer. And it is, I believe, one of the weakest links in the church today. We, if anybody knows how to pray, it ought to be the people of God. Muslims pray five times a day. I think that's the way they do it. Should we not spend time with God in prayer? Let me just say that this sermon is as much for me as it is to you. But I want to leave you with this thought. If we're going to be in harmony with the Lord if we're going to be people who are filled with God's Spirit, and that I'm not talking about chewing the rug or jumping pews. I'm talking about being the kind of Christian that understands that it is the Holy Spirit who lives, that we are the temple of the Spirit of God. And we're told in the Word of God not to grieve the Spirit, not to quench the Spirit. And when we gossip, we can, that's what we do in when we let these thoughts enter our mind. And last night as I was praying before I went to bed, I said, Lord, I I confess to you that my mind wanders during prayer and I'm sorry for that. And it just wanders off somewhere. And I've asked God to give me a disciplined mind so I can communicate with Him. Christian, to be the kind of person that brings glory to God the kind of person that warms the heart of God, the kind of person that is able to to give an account for the hope that is within us, the kind of person, I believe, that is a good representative of the Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I don't believe it's true of this church. I certainly hope it's not true of Franklin Heights. But Dr. Billy Graham lived to be 99 And you know what he said? He said, I really believe that maybe 50% of church members are not born again. That's a terrible indictment on the church. You know, Southern Baptists, we have 15 million members, Brother Doug. 15 million members. Do you know how many attend church on Sunday, on any given Sunday? 5 million. 10 million stay home. And I say to you, if this church is going to be on the cutting edge, if, 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 if this church or Franklin Heights or 
whatever church, then we need to allow the Lord to examine us. And, and, I, and I appreciate that man's question because since that time, that, 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 that question just lingers in my cerebrum. Brother, do you still have the fire of God in your soul? He meant by that, do you still have a passion for the things of God? Not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a Christian. Not because I've been to seminary, but because I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Is there passion for the things of God? Years ago, as a young preacher, I said, Lord, I want to be passionate about you above everything else. I want to love my wife and I want to honor my wife. I want to lead my children. Lord, I want to be a good pastor, but my heart, God, is to have a heart for you. And I would leave you with that thought today. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me or test me and know my anxious thoughts. Would you allow God today to spiritually examine your life? Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for this good church. I thank you for their precious pastor whose heart beats with your heart for missions. I thank you for every member here. Lord, this is a lighthouse. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this church. And Lord, I pray that you would search my heart and Lord, help me to be what you want me to be. And I make this prayer in the name of our precious Savior. Lord, I, I love Jesus. And I thank you. And Lord, I know it won't be long. I'll be going home. But Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for me. In Christ's name, amen.